Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dudley boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT Duplet, Interviews, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete. A very good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick to review AEW Dynamite. We are recording this over uh, Google Meets just to make sure I don't infect Michael Sidgwick ahead of a long weekend here in the UK. So, unfortunately, if you're thinking that we are back to normality with the podcast schedule, we will be. It'll just be tuesday next week basically it'll be at some point in the next in the next week or so um it's been a a wild week sige um but it was nice to get back to a semblance of sort of relative normality with a banger episode of aw dynamite i don't know if i would describe it as a banger there's lots of stuff on this i really liked i really like how the format was subverted one particular thing completely caught me by surprise and it was not jay white um i thought that the episode the thing that the episode was sort of built around i thought under delivered in every single department but we will get to that yeah, well, let's let's dive into it because it was a, a very newsworthy episode of AEW Dynamite. As you mentioned, uh, we started it. We started with news straight out the gate with a bloody typical bait and switch from AEW. They didn't give us the match. <laughs> oh, bloody hell! No, it was meant to be, of course, Ricky Starks versus Juice Robinson. Uh, that never happened because as Ricky Starks was was making his entrance, as Juice was already in the ring, the music for one Switchblade Jay White hit. Uh, and Jay White hit the ring to help basically them put a two-on-one beat down on Ricky Starks, who tried to fight back, but in the end, uh, he got laid out with the Blade Runner. Blade Runner, both men hug, stand tall. Um, yeah, Jay White is is all elite. <laughs> I don't know, obviously, what the uh, I don't think we'll ever really know probably what the reality of this was, but he's gone from debuting on Monday Night Raw to being all elite in the space of about forty-eight hours, Sige. Yeah, it's a strange one, this, and I don't have any informed perspective on any negotiation or anything of that nature. Um, Jesus Christ, Vince is back, and he's already affecting my speech patterns. <laughs> um, but this surely is the right decision. I think he would have slotted in very well in WWE. 
and it's Jay White is and I've described him like this before. Hopefully the mega fans will forgive me. It's been a while since I've heard my voice. After all, he's a dense tome of a novel that you know is good, but bloody hell, sometimes it's hard yeah. work. But I don't think, with the exception of MJF Danielson, that a single AEW pay-per-view main event has exceeded 40 minutes. So I think his more self-indulgent work is just not going to happen in AEW. Yeah. They can't accommodate it. And honestly, the most I've ever been impressed by Jay White, other than his G1 2019 final with Kota Ibushi, which is one of my top five favorite matches ever. It's a masterpiece. Um, was that match against Trent on Rampage? Mm. He's a fantastic um, TV wrestler when he's sort of less self-indulgent less stalling more economic with his work i thought he was absolutely fantastic he had a great 15 minute match with the carter he knows how to do it he's not me writing a paragraph going long for the sake of it <laughs> he's he can do that but he won't do that in um aew because as i said they just don't do that epic 45 minute new japan main event that they often do at wrestle kingdom um as for i thought his performance in this segment was awesome he looked live. He looked dynamic. He looked like he prowled the ring like a superstar. He looked so quick and stood predatory mm. with his movements. I thought he looked fantastic. I wish they hadn't jobber entranced juice because I knew something was up. Like the angle yeah. alert was just going off. And if they just staged this as it was just the most normal thing in the world, and obviously you're not having juice come out first because he's not really a star in AEW, so people would just think, all right, okay, switch this over. Have Starks come out, then Juice, and then do it, because the fact they never job at entrance anyone in the mm. order of Dynamite. There have been occasions where they've filmed the entrances before the broadcast when they want to cram a lot of minutes into the match, but they've never job at entranced anyone, so I knew something was up, and it just felt a little bit jarring and suddenly... Mm. White looked awesome, I thought, here. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, yeah, they, they, they sometimes do it with the entrances having already happened on, say, Rampage or whatever, but you sort of know that sort of comes with the territory. That's, that's a really good point. Um, I am looking forward to, in the next 24 hours, all the people who had the... Do you remember, like, when... Uh, you'll have this a lot with, with... When Newcastle are rumoured to be signing a player and you get, like, a welcome to St. James's... I don't know, Erling Haaland or whatever it is, and it's like a compilation of their best bits. And then that doesn't happen. People go, yeah, rubbish anyway. Never wanted him. Wouldn't have fit with the system. Yeah. I'm forward to a lot of the WWE fans going, yeah, never liked JY, actually. Thought he was, uh, thought he sucks. So, um, yeah. Oh, people who, absolutely bound to happen. Just completely hypocritical. I think, to be fair, under the, wait, how am I going to word this? New old regime. That's the way I'm going to put it. Uh, it wouldn't work with Jay White in any way. Um, but, you know, I, I was more hopeful with a Triple H regime. I should say, by the way, talking about all this, we are going to do a little pod later on, me and Sige, uh, talking about the disaster that is Vince McMahon coming back to uh, take over WWE because I know a lot of people have been wanting to know Sige's thoughts on this for quite some time. But getting, getting back to AW Dynamite, uh, Jericho is backstage with Shivani, um talking about Adam Cole's return match and... Uh, how he disrespected 
Daniel Garcia by just being so bloody self-indulgent. Let's not forget, by the way, this is a man who thought his career might have been over. But whatever. He was like, oh, yeah, you know, I was happy for you, for, for you winning and you getting the girl and kissing your wife and blah, blah, blah. Um, but then you had the streamers and you just rubbed it in, in Garcia's face. Disrespectful. And that is one thing that, that Chris Jericho simply won't stand for. And neither, it seems, will work with one Keith Lee who said, good sir, you are, you are unaware how disrespectful you are. And in fact, next week in Milwaukee, I shall teach you a thing or two about respect. And uh, Chris Jericho, I will say, sold this brilliantly, sort of shrinking as Keith Lee loomed over him. Uh, yeah, they'll face off next week on Dynamite. This was... Right. I expect Jericho versus Keith Lee. What a weird match. And I'll get into it. I'll get into why it's weird and why it's good that it's weird imminently. It's probably going to be the uh, moment when Swerve introduces his new group, which he's alluded to um, on TV over the prior few weeks. AEW's got this thing, and I think it's awesome, right? Where, and it should be a fair game on burying WWE for how disgusting the company is once again. So I'm going to do just that, but it's a nice comparative exercise. In AEW, and sorry, in WWE, two characters are never too far away from interacting, whether it's an impromptu TV match or whatever. Like, because they have such a small fixed cast mm. that doesn't rotate, like the idea of two people on that show interacting when you'd never expect it, that just isn't a thing in WWE. Mm. It is in AEW, and frankly, this was the case before they decided to just excessively stack that roster. Like, as an example, they had a match in... I believe it was like November 2019. When was the last time you saw MGF and Hangman Page interact? Like they just don't. They no. don't. They are so patient with having wrestlers tell their own stories. And like MGF was embroiled in grudge programs while Page held a title. Now those roles have been reversed. And it's a very, very patient approach that means that it really does mean something when these two stars interact. And I'm not saying Jericho Keith Lee is anywhere near that level because I think a lot of people think a proper MGF Hangman Page program is inevitable at some point. But it just... The point is, like, it's always weird when these two wrestlers or groups do interact because you're like, Jesus Christ, you're in the same company. This company mm. a tremendous job of really patiently sort of building to these showdowns. And I thought it was interesting that on the back of the bait and switch, which is a great one because anything in moderation is good. Um, the fact I just never had these two interacting, and it's just oh, yeah. the same company. It's weird, and it just basically brought into focus to me how deliberate and patient Tony Khan is with his booking patterns. And yet, sometimes it can get dry or a little bit too slow. But ultimately, it's a really great ace in the hole to have because this just. Took me out of nowhere. It's oh, you're in the same company. And yeah. The match that's totally bizarre. Um, but again, it's one of those things where I think that if you're trying to capitalize on, you know, the general WrestleMania traffic, wrestling's big again. Oh, there's another one. I might check it out. That was potentially a selling point of this show, and it was particularly um, the case because the raw after WrestleMania was absolutely abysmal. 
So I'd notice having this show, the start of it, laid out in such a way where it's like, you're going to get a bait and switch. You don't just have to have the 15-minute great opening match and this compartmentalized thing that AEW does for a logical reason, but it can't get dry. And then just to have these two wrestlers you never thought would interact on the show. I just thought it was a very smart, strategic ploy at this point in the calendar to subvert the format of Dynamite. Yeah, it's a really good point, that. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk more about it, of course, on the on the Dynamite preview next week. Uh, then we got the first of our four, I think, championship matches on this show. House of Black defending the trios titles against the best friends um, and Orange Cassidy. Uh, nice to see Trent's mum Sue back, driving them to uh, driving them to the arena in the minivan. Uh, and this is a, a fun match. It breaks down at one point um, after King. Brody King just mowed down uh, Chuck Taylor. Cassidy goes for the hands in the pockets, dive off the top, but gets caught by um, Buddy Matthews and uh, Malachi Black and slammed into the apron. Trent Barretta suffers the same fate, I think, as we go to a break there. Uh, later on, we come back and uh, there's a great standoff between Malachi Black and uh, Orange Cassidy after they both miss the uh, roundhouse kick and the orange punch. Cassidy goes for his uh, lazy kicks, but Malachi drops him. Cassidy fires back with a stun dog millionaire. Um, they are all trying to take pile drive Brody King at one point, or at least uh, Beretta's trying to. He can't do it. It takes a uh, Chuck Taylor pump knee and an orange punch to allow Beretta to get Brody King up for the pile drive for a great near fall. But in the end, um, we have Chuck Taylor and Buddy Matthews countering each other until Matthews hits the stomp to get a one, two, three. The House of Black, unsurprisingly, retaining those trios titles, Sige. Yeah, I was yet again with these trios matches. Um, just really impressed by the thought that went into it. And I think impressed was my general prevailing feeling because this Long Island crowd, like basically there's a bit of a folklore in wrestling circles where it's like with a bit of a resigned sigh, it's like, oh, it's the Nassau Coliseum where it's, right, it's a market. It's, you know, people come, you can draw money there, but you're not going to get the hottest crowd. Uh, Long Island's had this sort of stigma forever in that regard. And it was fairly, they lived down to it a bit on the night where they just, for whatever reason, for a New York crowd, Long Island's just never that hot. And um, they got into the finish here. And I think this was the case for quite a few matches. But then they went ballistic for that near fall on Brody King. Yeah really speaks to me about the strength of the match and how cleverly it was laid out that they really got a Long Island crowd biting on the idea of a near fall when realistically this match had minimal build uh, the House of Black um, have only really just won the trios title so it was very implausible that you were going to get a title switch um, but they convinced them through the quality of the story and the way that the, the match was structured I really liked, can, you, can I have one swear word Will Warren? Absolutely. Right. right, okay. I like how Orange Cassidy took the piss. He put his hands in his pockets and then he f***ed around and found out and got <laughs> fine crashed against the apron because he can't really do that against the House of Black. Like, they will annihilate you. That was the story. Then he learned his lesson and then he had one of those rare, Jesus Christ, Orange Cassidy's firing up spots, which I always like because he measures them and he, like, preserves their meaning. Um, I love it when like, he really, really does try. It's just fantastic. And, you know, nearly four years in now, the fact that he can really get that reaction was just perfect. Um, the way that they system, like systemically sort of chopped away at the Brody King tree 
um, to get him in position for a pile driver. The fans bought that as a near fall. Um, Cassidy and Buddy Matthews and Cassidy and Malachi Black. I want those singles matches. Um, that's the joy of a trios match in AEW, the very best ones. And most of them are great. It's that there's so many cool mini interactions that you just... I know for a form, right, that is criticised for its excess and spot fests and moves and trios matches. In fact, a great AEW trios match is so great that you sort of beg for more. You want these individual singles matches, these snapshot showdowns, if you like, are often so well executed that you want more. Mm. You're not getting inundated with spots and it's this big sort of like miasma of just moves with a Z. I'm the opposite. I want more. I want. I still want Kenny versus Malachi. And now I want Orange versus Malachi and Orange versus Buddy. Uh, I thought this was a tremendous success. Um, the best match on a night where another match was meant to be better. Mm. Um, then we got a video of Christian Cage in a in a, in a, hallway, a red light hallway uh, where Luchasaurus emerged and they, they both don't break their silence, but they are looking incredibly ominous. So we're excited to see where this goes next. And then we got the um, AW Women's Championship match. It was Jamie Hayter versus Riho. I did like that there was a spot in this match uh, that reminded me why I fell in love with both of these women when Riho does that dive off the top. And I was like, oh, yeah. I still remember going, Jesus Christ, Jamie Hayton made it look like she just got her head taken off by yeah. her. Um, that was initially into the match. Actually, well, Jamie Hayton tried to hit her, finish straight at the gate, but Rio uh, was too quick, too lithe for her. Um, she almost got uh, almost got the title as well, Rio, hitting a springboard hurricane runner out of the corner and hitting the charging double knees, but Hayton gets her foot on the rope. Riho's trying to get the dragon suplex, or another dragon suplex. Hater rolls through, though, hits Haterade after uh, Riho initially avoids the first one. She kicks out the first one, but a second Haterade gets Hater the one, two, three. Uh, I just love these two in the ring, Sige. I love these two in the ring as well. And one of these days, they're going to have a super, super hot crowd for one of their matches because it just hasn't happened for them yet, incredibly. They've never had like an absolutely white hot crowd. And I think like any wrestling match, obviously, would really benefit from one. So I still honestly don't think they've reached the ceiling of what they can do together because the dynamic is so absolutely cool. Uh, one thing, I, there's two things I really liked about this match in particular. One had little to do with the content. I have been down on this outcasts homegrown story because initially it was like oh well we work over there and then we're more professional over there and they should be happy that we've graced the AEW women's division with our presence because we've got you know the seniority and the star power from over there that was getting on my tits if i'm being perfectly honest and now They've taken the WWE references, indirect as they were, out of there. And now, what I really liked about this match, and maybe I'm reaching bro or whatever, but putting this match on with no interference, a really cool competitive yeah. back and forth with a great dynamic, with a clean finish, um, no baby face or heel, just pure competition was the theme here. Now, it's been established that there actually is an AEW, AEW women's division to which there's sort of a sanctity mm. and uh, 
homegrowns are now threatening to corrupt it without the lame overtones of that. Um, I really liked how this match existed because now the outcasts just appear like really entitled, like disturbers. Mm. Um, and they are actually threatening to ruin something. And they've built a pretty cool women's division in the background. And that needs to be the crux of everything. Another thing I really liked is I, I love this about Riho, right? But I think it dawned on me and that Nyla Rose match at Rampage, which was a little bit cursed. It was a little bit quiet because the fans had all left that. I've always loved Riho's magic trick, but it was getting maybe a little bit old where she wrestles initially where she's got no power. Like yes. forearms are so weak, she gets swatted away and then she gets into the match and that gets a comeback over deeper into it. It was getting a bit on the nose, is yeah. maybe the expression. Here, she didn't really do that. She just used her speed as a sort of a neutralizing factor against Jamie Hayter, who, again, her intent was amazing. The clotheslines, the lariats, like people, when they say, right, that people should study tape of how it used to be and go back and watch these sort of venerated old legends, just watch Jamie Hayter. Yeah. Study Jamie Hayter and how she wrestles and how she fights because she's just amazing. Yeah. Top 10 wrestler in the company for me, Jamie Hayter. I think she's incredible. And um, again, another reason I enjoyed this match simply for existing is that this outcast stuff was really threatening to swallow this rain hole. And I like how I think there should be more of a balance. And I want to see her in the ring more because she's awesome. Yeah, I had that. I was like, why am I enjoying this match more than I normally do? And I remember I realized, yeah, it was the case that it wasn't, you know, just having the, the looming interference hanging over it as much. And you mentioned the outcast there. Renee's backstage with them afterwards and they mockingly congratulate Hater for defending her title. Um, but Ruby Soho tells her not to get comfortable. One of us is going to become the AW Women's Champion uh, soon. Paquette sort of says, well, there's three of you and there can only be one. And Soraya's like, ah, it doesn't really matter. As long as she's not the champion, basically. Don't try and stir the pot between us. Uh, before we move on, um, obviously, this is normally the spot that we would do ladies' night with the schedule being being what it is. Um, we're not going to do it this week. But I will say one of the three big things that popped off in the uh, uh, Adam and the Dadley Boys chat over WrestleMania weekend. Uh, number one, me getting cooked by the Usos at Wale Mania. Number two... I don't know how to put this lightly because we never want to take joy in people getting injured. But uh, Shane McMahon's return, let's just say that. Mm. And three, and the real highlight for the three of us uh, was getting a photo finally with the two people behind the, um, oh, sorry. Dada. Thank you for ladies night. The brilliant Adam Blair and uh, Jose Palomares. I got a photo with them outside um, the crypt crypto arena. Uh, following NXT Stand and Deliver. Genuinely, really great to, to meet those guys in person. Um, so, yeah, just want to give a quick shout-out to both of them. I have to say as well, Wilborn, that Usos interview was fantastic. Huge pop in the office when me, Murray, and Hamlet watched it. <laughs> like the improvisation of the redhead stuff was fantastic. Did you have that in mind beforehand? I sort of had like a vague... Can I become an Oos, you know, how Oosie am I sort of thing? And then I think uh, me and the boys, um, Miller, Phil and Nicholas, maybe workshopped, yes, yeah, something along the lines of there's a, yeah, there's a sort of space for a redhead clearly in the uh, in the bloodline. But uh, yeah, it was 
it wasn't really something we were sure we were going to get. They were just sort of like, yeah, this is kind of your area and there's going to be lots more uh, videos and interviews from uh, backstage at Wale Mania coming out on the channel in the next few days and weeks, I would assume. But, um, you know, we were expecting like we usually do to just sort of have to grab people as they're sort of wandering through. And, uh, yeah, the guys who, uh, who were organising Wale Mania were like, yeah, we'll get, we'll get Jimmy and Jay after they come off stage, if that's all right. And I was like, oh, for fuck. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, headliners, man. Yeah, wild, wild stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, what do you make of uh, Shane McMahon's return? I prefer not to speak. <laughs> I loved your tweet if I speak, I'm in trouble. I, I, will say, I will say, call of the weekend from Michael Cole. Shane still got it. Timing in this business is everything. Uh, right, returning to AEW Dynamite, uh, we had uh, Danny Magic and then Cool Hanange and Jake Hager are there. Will the Acclaim join the JAS? We still don't know um, because they did the the, the Acclaimed entrance and the, the Max Caster rap, and uh, then there was a tease of like, "Oh, you like you want you look like you want to fight together." That is, and they're gonna have a big eight man tag on Rampage, and then there's some scissoring to to send i was gonna say send the crowd home happy send the segment home happy wilborn first of all i really like this second i'm gonna coin something here oh are you ready for this i'm ready there was a wilbornian quality to angelo parker's thing here i just couldn't not think of you when like it was a bit jericho as well like he's obviously learned something where he thought for a second or like he tried to convince you that he thought for a second that you know he's he's onto them he's onto them he's not a stupid idiot this guy but he is yeah that sounds like you're ready to fight together <laughs> it's so funny because he's just such a deluded narcissist asshole that it couldn't possibly in the face of actual evidence that you could hear right next to him getting bantered off. He was like, no one would banter off the great cool hand Ange. You want to fight together? <laughs> I thought Angelo Parker saved this segment. It's light entertainment fluff, but I was I popped. I popped at that. Yeah, it was it was good stuff. Um, and then we get to the highlight of the evening, uh, the celebration of MJF Day. We get a video seeing uh, Maxwell being awarded the key to the city of Oyster Bay saying this is the proudest, one of the proudest days of his life. Um, and then we get the in-arena in version of all this, of course. Justin Roberts introduces a swing band on stage. MGF walks out in a resplendent white tuxedo with the scarf, of course. He, he, um, he ends up singing Pennies from Heaven, um, makes his way with some exquisite dance moves down the ramp into the ring. Um, Justin Roberts introduces Joseph Saladino, who is the supervisor of the town of Oyster Bay, um, who gets a, a mixed reaction, I think it's fair to say. Taz was really enjoying this on commentary. Uh, and he presents MJF with a much bigger key to Long Island, basically. Uh, MJF gets on the mic and says, I deserve this. Meanwhile, you've got losers like Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, and most of all, Jungle Boy, uh, all he's ever going to have is a uh, girlfriend with a wandering eye and a tiny little gack. Uh, <laughs> he um, 
talks about uh, being in school, talks about having ADD. There's an ADD chant in there as well. Uh, and then turns his attention to Mrs. Benedict, who would um, have a go at him, basically, uh, laugh and, and make him feel tiny because he didn't know the answers in school. Um, and his mind would always wander off to wrestling. And she said, you know, there's a slim to non chance of you ever, you know, achieving your dreams, basically. Um, and he fires back and calls her a stupid bitch. <laughs> uh, pop. Pop. Yeah. Um, and then he gives a motivational speech to all the Long Island kids out there. Only Long Island kids, of course, because he doesn't talk to pause. Um, hits his catchphrase, walks off with his title. Uh, and then decides, you know what? This is all going so well. How about how about a little encore? And then all of a sudden, a you know, a, no issue. We, we, I think people should try and be as safe as possible. But when there was someone there with massive sunglasses on, a mask, I've not seen anyone wearing a you know a, a COVID mask for quite some time and a hat. I went, oh cool, so that's Jungle Boy. Then <laughs> he yeah. has the symbols, of course, and then it's revealed to be Jungle Boy. And normally in this scenario. You know the the heel champion, if you want to really call him that, gets his comeuppance whilst he's being so self indulgent. You know, there's a great like, yeah, thank God that's over, sort of thing. Everyone was booing the moment Jungle Boy attacked him, and when they did the sort of rollover spot where it's like Jungle Boy's on top, raining down punches, and then MJF's on top, the yay boo version of that was completely the wrong way around. But I really enjoyed it. They eventually get separated. Um, but this brawl has has not only uh, knocked Max's scarf off, but it's left the title there. I thought that the visual here was really good. So they've been held apart. And then here comes Sammy Guevara for his match with Commander. And uh, he poses with the AW title. And I immediately thought, there's a thumbnail in that. Thank you very much, AEW. Um, and he winds up MJF and Jungle Boy by posing with the title before the match. Before we get to the... Uh, high-flying ridiculousness of Sammy Guevara versus Commander, though. Sid, your thoughts on MJF Day? MJF Day was uh, as great as I expected it to be. He's his segments go very long. They do. And that is a talking point, I guess. Could he accomplish the same amount in a shorter time frame? Possibly, but you get more zingers the longer he goes and no one gets bored. So ultimately, what difference does it make? Um, the stupid bitch line. I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it must have been incredibly cathartic for him. Yeah. Like, incredibly cathartic. If you've had, have I ever had a bad teacher? Like, I literally can't relate. Me, like, me I've, neither. I've had, I'll tell you what, right? I had a great relationship with all my English teachers, obviously. All my primary school teachers. I think they realized I was a little warrior. So they just, I think they took pity on me. Never had a really antagonistic relationship with a teacher. There was. Did you ever do a, a, a lesson called systems? No. It was like, um, it's the one where you get this, you build a wooden triangle to tell you like that that's how basically all structures are made and that's what keeps them up. And you build a wooden triangle and you put it on a platform and then you meant to like stamp your foot on it. It's like, it won't break that easily. Welcome, you know, architecture or whatever. And um, bit of a bummer story. I got bullied in year seven. I don't know if that's uh, middle, middle, junior high or whatever. <laughs> I was like 12, 11, 12 years old. And there was like three of them. 
I'm soft as cloth anyway. I'm not like a big alpha male for Christ's sake. Everyone knows what I'm like at this point. If there was one, I'd still be like, oh, it sucks. Can't believe it sucks. And uh, there was like three of them. Three, you know, it started, right? Because I was friends with them. And we all had a big sort of like slumber party in the summer between year seven and year eight, right? And uh, one of them just was just being an asshole and decided to get my hamster out of the cage and like threatened to kill it. Oh, that's out of order. Yeah, just a bit. So I was like, what the f are you doing? Like, like pushed him against my wall and got the hamster and put it back in its cage and just stopped speaking to them. I was like, Quite wrong. yeah. And then they're like, ah, should let's kill that hamster. <laughs> and then basically they sort of tormented me. They tormented me for like about the first term semester. And like, luckily because you know, I was in a decent set and they weren't. So I only had one class with them. Yeah, and that was systems, and like there were dicks and systems. So I said, "Look, I can't be in this class. I'm switching classes. I'm going to get my mom on you if you <laughs> don't uh, switch me out." Eventually, got switched, but the guy was like, "You know, you're going to have to deal with it at some point. It's a bit pathetic, this Michael." Oh, there's three of them. Yeah. Jesus! <laughs> well, you know what do you want us to do? There yeah. was three of them. So I can't even remember his name, but if I got to call him a stupid. On national television, I imagine it would be very, very pleasing. But no, MGF was great. Yeah, stupid bitch line just popped me daft. Um, I loved it as well. He's just got this like he could obviously be a stand up if he wasn't a wrestler. Yeah, ability to manipulate the crowd, just the confidence he exudes as a top guy is like amazing. He said something to the effect of, You know, if you wanted, you could do it. This is awesome. Clap, 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 clap. Yeah, and then he just did it on mass. Click of the fingers as loud as possible. So I liked MGF's portion of this, right? Jungle Boy is 1 million percent not the guy to do that bit. No one in this feud is, but maybe they felt they had to do it. When Sting unmasks to be Sting, huge pep. When Steve Austin effectively plays a prank on Mr. McMahon, and emerges from somewhere he's not expected to be huge pep. Uh, Jungle Boy ain't that wrestler. He just no. isn't. So that really fell flat for me. And I will permit the ramp holding up the title stuff because it segued neatly into the Guevara match. It was a really comparatively organic way of building a four-way without relentless promo trains and people getting screwed out of matches and the heel going, well, like, guess what? If I screw one of them out of the match, there won't be a triple threat. You know, what we see in WWE all the time. So I think they are genuinely doing a really good job of building this four-way, this pillars match. Um, but yeah, Jungle Boy isn't like a funny guy. No. So just didn't like that bit. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Well, let's get to uh, Sammy Guevara versus Commander then. Um, just just insane, this. Um, Commander has become my new favorite wrestler. AW kind of introduces me to, to a new one every year. Takeshita was last year's. Commander might be this year's. Bikingo is is kind of one and one a between those two because they're just preposterous what these guys can do in and well outside of a wrestling ring as well. Um, Guevara as well starts off uh, with a big he blindsides Commander and hits a, a springboard moonsault that's so high that Guevara goes out of frame and they have to reshow a different shot because you can't they shouldn't have. They shouldn't have. Uh, Commander does his rope walk into a shooting star press uh, to get a near fall. Um, Commander goes to do that thing where he runs across the ropes on the wrong side of the ring and dives to the outside. But Guevara scouted this and uh, Commander gets hit with a jump knee to take us to a break. When we come back, uh, Commander's doing more ridiculous gravity-defying stuff. He uh, goes for a third time for that shooting star of his. Guevara gets his knees up. Um, misses the GTH, gets put in the ropes. Commander tries for another rope walk, but Guevara fires back up, nails him with the cutter, hits him with the GTH, and gets the one, two, three. Darby Allen's shown watching from the rafters as well. Uh, and after the match, Guevara gets interviewed and uh, says, what was that, the American Idol beforehand? Um, and says, look, I had you beat MJF when we wrestled. Um, the only thing that beat me was Sean, uh, Sean Spears in the steel chair. Um, he talks about MJF being a pillar. Um, it's been built by others and lists all the people that he's betrayed, basically, and manipulated. Um, he sold his soul to be a pillar, said Sammy. Um, I'd never do that. I'm not going to stop until I become world champion. Uh, right. First on the match, I thought it was good, not great. I'm desensitized to this style at this point. It has to be awesome for me to really care or to frankly care a little bit, and it was only awesome in places. There was one rope walk dive that was incredible, and I think I liked it as much for the production. Uh, that Michael Mansry fella, um, his influence, I think, I think the production has tightened up, and this was an example of it because he just kept the camera still. He captured the full majestic arc of Commander, and it was like a New Japan tier shot. So if we can get more of that sensibility in AEW's production, I'll be delighted because it's best in class New Japan. Any kind of echo of that on AEW television, I will absolutely um, welcome. Um, cool spots in this, obviously. 
Um, there were two that they kind of lifted wholesale from Kenny Vikingo. And, you know, it's probably pedantic because I've probably, in fact, I definitely have enjoyed two different matches with Canadian Destroyers in them. But I just felt like it was a risk to do so. Um, we're not really far removed from that match. So I just thought it could only become a diminished return. And I did think Commander, I know the story of the match was he was eager to impress. They said this on commentary. It was the story that he relied too heavily on the rope walk because, you know, it's his big shot in singles and all the rest of it. But at times I thought he just looked dumb the fifth or sixth time you're doing it. And obviously it got counted. So I don't necessarily think it was in a, that effective a story beat. I'm, I know I'm, feel like I'm in a bit of a mood with this match. I just thought it could have been, it just didn't feel to me like this insanely exhilarating sprint spectacle. I thought it was just good, not great. Um, and I had problems with Sammy's promo as well. I just can't nail them down. So he's a heel. He's a double heel, if you like, in Long Island because yeah. he's heel feuding with their ultimate baby face. When he cut this promo, he felt less like a heel and more, I don't know if it was his tone or the language or what, he felt like he was a baby face complaining mm. rather than a heel. And it's so weird that he's being mentored by Chris Jericho. Because you mentioned, I'd forgotten this, that he said something to the effect of you'd never see me doing something like that. Was that meant to be the Chris Jericho bit? You know, when he has this loose grip on reality and says, oh, God, who wears sunglasses inside? Yeah. It's him wearing sunglasses inside. Oh, God, who wears a scarf? Did he just not deliver that line in the way it has to be delivered? He felt like... I just I thought he felt like a babyface who didn't know how to be a babyface mm. rather than a heel, sort of luxuriating and being the heel with their idiotic... like fantastical grasp on reality. I just thought he came off... I thought this is very, very weird. Very, very weird. He's never had the best grasp of his character, Guevara. Like, he's too entertaining and spectacular to really be a heel in the ring. And I think he's jumbled in his promos as well, so I wasn't into this. What's the, what's the phrase you sometimes use? Neither now nor summit? Neither now nor summit. That was that was exactly what I got from this because initially I was like, is this just because they're in Long Island and it would work anywhere else? And people would be like, uh, you see what you did there, but yeah, I think you've I think you've nailed it there. It was it was neither one way or another. It was neither I'm being completely hypocritical here, and uh obviously I've done a lot of the things in terms of like used others to get into a position that I could never have achieved by myself, but also saying, I had you, I had you beat you know, sort of thing. It's, yeah. Which, what, what are we doing here? Sort of thing. Yeah. yeah that's a bit rubbish. He should have just, he should have loved his life here in Long Island. He's a heel. He's a heel in the story. Kind of has to be. Otherwise it's a three on one baby face dynamic against MGF. So if anything, he should have really sort of like licked his lips of being heel here. And he kind of didn't. It was just so odd. And no one's going to cheer him. No. I think maybe, maybe in a with his heavy presence on all access. By the way, I heard not a whisper of that show after the fact. Like, you know, when you go on Twitter and you get like a snippet of like, oh, this is a cool thing, or this is an interesting thing, or this is a meme 
um, friendly thing that was on all I didn't read about it at all. Um, that's not necessarily indicative of anything. Um, everyone's social media is configured differently. It might get a great rating, but the people who talked about it on my timeline last week anyway said nothing. But the reason why I bring it up is because they're, I think they're trying to babyface Guevara through that. Yeah. It ain't going to work. The only thing I saw about it, you say that, is uh, what it was the tease to like watch it was find out what made Sammy Guevara this emotional on all access. And it was a match or something like that. I'm, I'm not going to watch and find out. Like you say, it's not my cup of tea. Um, another little side note before I forget it. On our last day in LA, Sige, me, um, Phil and Nicholas thought we'd finally do some touristy stuff because we've been so busy and stuff. And, um, you know, they're, they're very cultured, Phil and Nicholas. So they went, we went to a bit that was in uh, the long goodbye. We went and saw that. We went and got a photo outside the cinema that's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And like bits of it, I was like, oh, no, I get this. We went to like the Walk of Fame and things like that. But genuinely, the bit I popped the most for was um, randomly stumbling across the office from Selling Sunset, the uh, the Netflix series about like an estate agency that Anne Louise watches all the time. I was like, oh my God, it's the Oppenheimer Group or whatever it's called. It was, uh, so yeah, that was a, an interesting snippet into their like, oh yeah, no, this is in uh, The Long Goodbye. I'm like, these are that's where they sell the, the fancy houses from. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, back to another championship match now on Dynamite. It was the FTW title. Uh, Ethan Page challenging Hook. Who could have seen this coming, Sige? Uh, <laughs> because um, Page initially tried a cheap shot, but got dropped with a T-bone suplex, rolled to the outside, um, took over on the floor, though, posted Hook, um, tried to do a twist of fate in honour of Matt Hardy. Hook counter, though, hit one of his own, and then it looked like Isaiah Cassidy was going to run distraction whilst uh, Ethan Page clocked Hook with the title. But instead, there was a tug of war between Hardy and Page. Hardy nails Ethan Page with the FTW Championship. Um, and he stumbles back into Red Rum. Hook gets the submission victory, uh, retains the FTW title. They're running this back again, aren't they, on Rampage? Um, but regardless, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a, a nice fist bump between Hardy and, and Cassidy and Hook as they as they go up the ramp. I was really intrigued to know your thoughts on this, considering our history with these guys. Last week's was quite good, you know, and it was very over. Um, but two things, right? Re rejoice, joy all around. If you're into the story, I'm not particularly. It's it's getting it's drawing to its conclusion. Mm. Conclusion is drawing near, and you're going to get the payoff. It's going to be Hardy versus Ethan Page, and people are going to, you know, like it for some reason. And, you know, it's fine. It's good. It's over. And we're far enough away that it's not going to be on double or nothing. Yes. Well, you know what Tony Khan's like? Maybe not. <laughs> good news if you're not into it. It's going to be over soon. So. <laughs> Um, then we got to the point that uh, I, I think, sorry, I, I'm being harsh. They've lovingly crafted this nice little DIY project that is eventually got something of a reaction from the real audience, not just the people who watch every vlog and YouTube show. They've worked hard. You kind of have to admire it. Indeed. Um, 
Then Excalibur throws to the newest broadcast partner on AEW. Um, first of all, fantastic that Nigel McGuinness is all elite. Um, and he's backstage there with Tony Khan. He talks, Tony does, about the uh, the pioneers uh, who put on a show called All In, the biggest independent wrestling show of all time. And five years on, AEW is going to make their debut in London, England, on Sunday, August 27th for All In. Um, and then he brings in Adam Cole, who reveals... It's going to go down at Wembley Stadium of all places. Jesus Christ. Um, it was weird when he started talking the UK show. I was like, really? Like, obviously, it's massive for me if I get the opportunity to go. Um, but this is the big hook. There's like Wembley Stadium all in. Jesus Christ. Certainly warrants the, the hype of the announcement. I, honest to God, thought oh adam cole you idiot don't yeah. say wembley stadium you idiot say wembley arena where it actually is because otherwise you've made a bit of a blooper there no okay it's wembley stadium oh my god what i love about this it's like at least at least one different kind of perfect at once one you get an AEW uk show two the very idea it was nice of them to name drop cody it really was i thought i was classy uh maybe it's bare minimum stuff and wwe brain has rotted me and rotted my own brain but they would never do that would never give credit for someone who doesn't work there and in fact is well was doing exceptional numbers for the competition who you are a distant second to but it was just a nice gesture it was the goddamn truth tell it don't mug me off the thing about all in and this is the perfect sequel what a beautiful bit of bloody promotion this is. All In was driven by the fact that there is no reason why wrestling can't be class and big on a big stage anymore. How many people over the years have said, you know what, WWE's like rubbish. It's killing my emotional investment. It is making me feel thick by watching it. It is so dull. It's such an ugly organization. You can't invest in the storylines, the wrestling so one-dimensional, and everything, everything else. How many people have said that? Hundreds of thousands? Why can't we get 10,000 of them in the arena and just kind of save wrestling a little bit? Because it sucked for 20 years of this monopoly. It seems quaint now that the original All-In happened, considering that AEW, the entity that was actually happening before All-In happened, but the more romanticized story is that it was the sequel, if you like. The major label debut, it wasn't, but that's part of the story, I guess. They can do 10,000 for every pay-per-view, or there or thereabouts. They can do 10,000 for some TV shows. It's quaint now that it was such a thing, but God damn it, it was such a thing. It really was getting 10,000 for a non-WWE show. All In is the brand built on that. why not, just the dare-to-dream ambition of what wrestling can be. Why not? Like, why not? If there's, and you know what, as well, if anyone has any tentative fear, and it, it would be well founded that, right, if it's a half full stadium, it would be an impressive number, but it would just look a bit weird and all the rest of it. If you go back and watch the, was it 2019 they did this, where they did the G1, the opening night of the G1 in Dallas. That was a massive arena. It was too big. They half-filled it. It really wasn't that bleak. 
and it was a great show so it it can be done even if it's half full i've got every confidence that it'll be great um can they fill ninety thousand? i asked the same question can they fill 10 it's going to be exponentially harder but the good thing about this question is how can they fill it is that it fuels the awesome kind of fan discourse which mm. is hugely so rubbish increasingly horrendous you ask good questions from that one question that sparks the other questions how can they fill it right are they bringing back cm punk are they doing omega a carter five is it the site of sting's retirement the original all-in brought together a new japan influence that had people from AAA, um everyone in the indies that was big at the time what does that mean now roh new japan vikingo just to do 10 minutes you know of insanity like the hype dream of all in two is the perfect sequel to all in one which was itself a pipe dream and now we're going to get the questions and i fully expect this card to go way harder than all in because all in great as it was it's dated badly obviously with marty scale being on there and joey ryan being on there so i'm glad they're in fact doing it all in two because like the the pests can't pollute memories of the first one anymore the first all in was great at the time caveat but there was no one match where you thought jesus christ this is an absolute dream match main event like kenny omega versus penta was like b-tier omega match it was the vibe more than the card this one needs a card and i think everyone knows that it's wembley it's ninety thousand potentially in there so you can dare to dream you can dare to dream of omega a card of five you can dare to dream of omega punk you can dare to dream of danielson okada you know you can dream all of this because they have to do something several things i would wager huge to even approach filling it but that's awesome yeah yeah i i, I don't think it feels disingenuous to call it all in like you say for, for all those reasons you've just laid out there um it's uh like you say it's such a big swing this i think you know, you and I have, have spoken probably mainly off air about this, uh, about the fact that it probably, probably would have been Craven Cottage. Probably would have been Craven Cottage. <clears throat> Craven Cottage, late June, early July, because the football season's finished. And you and I both know as football fans, a lot of those times, that's when football stadiums have big gigs on. They have musicians come and play there. Or if you're lucky enough, you can literally go and play on the pitch. If you and your mates club together and get enough money together, you can have a, just a, a fun 11-a-side match with your mates. You get to play at St. James's Park. It's awesome because it's the downtime. And then, of course, WWE announces money in the bank for July 1st, and then they go, right, well, we need a sufficient time gap. That's kind of messed up because the football season starts again. In And by the way, they said football. I noticed that from Excalibur. They didn't say soccer, which was nice to hear. Um and yeah it's just it's just really exciting i i kind of hope that they don't announce anything or they don't talk about it for the next week or so so that me you and hamlet can get in the uh, back in the studio and do a what needs to happen at all in for all the things you've you've laid out and i will say that is the first time uh how do i word this without getting in trouble with the missus it's the first time i've been like oh i'm gonna be a dad because my my baby is due on August 17th. And, well, you can help me with this as a, as a father. 
10 days after the due date. I should be fine to nip out for a while, shouldn't I? Mm. <laughs> I wet the baby's head by going to have like literally two pints in town. And I was like, I can't do any more because I have to be up at like one o'clock in the morning when we're splitting the shift um, of the sleep patterns. Uh, well, it depends. Um, you know your wife better than me, Wilborn. <laughs> cool. See you at Wembley Stadium. <laughs> Will I? Uh, right. Let's get back to let's get back to Dynamite. Um, where I'm really sorry, I forgot to write down who they were facing. The Blackpool Combat Club murdered three guys. Basically, they came down. Um, there was a spike pile driver on the floor on one poor bastard. You are put another one in a single crab. Um, Moxley put someone in a sleeper. Castagnoli launches someone to the floor. In the end, Utah hits uh, the hammer and anvil elbows and a cross face gets them the victory. The match itself isn't really worth talking about, is it, Sid? It was the post-match we need to talk about because uh, Brian Danielson grabs a mic, said he was home with his family who he loves. But do you know who else he loves? All of the Blackpool Combat Club. Despite <laughs> I won't say because I'll make more work for myself. But despite how much of a bloody knobhead really he is, he loves each and every one of them basically. Um, and he talks about and um, these are professionals. And um, whilst everyone else looks like amateurs hired by the EVPs, like the guys that we just faced, um, we're the only professionals. Here comes Hangman Adam Page though, uh, who shows no fear despite the clear disadvantage. And obviously gets in there to get into it with uh, with Mox uh, and Claudio and Utah get into it with him as well. And obviously the numbers game allows them to beat down Hangman Adam Page uh, whilst Danielson's yelling at him for being an amateur. The BCC um, are professionals. Uh, Page doesn't have anyone who loves him as much as um, as, as, as the, the the Blackpool Combat Club. Um, and then Danielson pulls out a screwdriver from his jacket. Uh, and says he's been uh, he's doing some yeah, some housework, fixing things up at home whilst he's been away. Um, and maybe the house of AW needs to be fixed up from all these amateurs. No one's coming out to save him. And Danielson, I think, fairly certain, he drives the screwdriver into the eye of Hangman Adam Page. Um, and Danielson yells as Hangman Page writhes around in in agony. Brutal. This can I shock you? Kind of hated this. Did you? Kind of hated it. Um, I had many problems with it from mainly a logic point of view. An interesting note, though. Um, yes, it's tied into the fact that the Blackpool Combat Club have always considered themselves the serious wrestlers of the company, whether they were faces against the sports entertainers, the JAS. Now their new motive is sick of the amateurs. They don't give us enough of a fight. We're the very best. This company is a bit, you know, of a joke. I've seen enough of that in AEW, quite frankly. I think everyone's realized that it's... Everyone's learned from MGF that it's a good um, way to get heat from the AEW audience, but now everyone's taken off with it and it's getting a bit ridiculous. Um, so I didn't like that they were burying AEW as an entity. I never have liked any indication that the books and omega have evp status on screen because it gets a little bit general managery yeah um so i don't like that either 
And I don't like as well, the little headline about you, it was great because it did two things at once. One, it made canon that, that's what people thought about his character before Return Heel. So they've just embraced it. It's got this sort of obnoxious quality. Great wrestler, but the character does. Um, so they've embraced it, turned him fantastic. And we, uh, Utah and Danielson had a bit of a disagreement a few months ago when Danielson was like, oh, gosh, he is the best young guy. And Utah was like, are you joking? So they acknowledged that as well, which I thought was really strong, really bit of thought. But that's where the thought ended for me. Um, interesting, before I make my next point, that Danielson's taken on the surrogate CM Punk role here. Mm. Everything that he said was an echo of things that CM Punk said about them which leads me to believe that they're no closer to bringing cm punk back and they're using the good material that could have um arose from a on-screen punk versus elite feud and danielson's doing it so that was my impression could be wrong could be reaching um why did no one come out to help hangman page it was ridiculous yeah two for like two even three reasons mainly two one Right. I understand why this didn't happen. One, the angle had to happen. Two, the idea is that people wanted Kenny Omega to come out. Maybe they were hoping that an Omega chant would start up. It didn't really. Um, with the idea being, right, okay, they're no closer to reuniting, but they are going to because they have to, because it has to be four on four. So they're telling you, or they're showing you that it's going to happen, but it can't happen yet because they're relationship still not great so i understand why no one helped him because you were meant to ask yourself why isn't omega helping him but i ask myself why is it no one helping him because this yeah. is ridiculous the dark order adore hangman page they have since day one it's not necessarily reciprocated all of the time it's a bit one-sided but the Dark Order will always have hangman pages back i'm certain they've said this aloud one thousand times the fact that they weren't there was ridiculous. A total plot hole, not consistent enough for me. And I hated how not even the referees yeah. the security came out when they saw the screwdriver and it was four on one. I understand that AEW was very selective about this because they kind of have to be when um, things have to happen. Like you have to have brawls and you have to have beatdowns and you can't always be saved. Otherwise, you just get this schmoz where either nothing happens or it's a 50 50 brawl every time they have to be a little bit inconsistent to make things happen like wrestling's a pretty flawed medium in that respect um but as soon as the screwdriver came out and it was four on one i was like get the referees or the security out this is getting ridiculous i hate the idea of a wrestling promotion as a heel entity i just hate it i grew up on the wwf with Gorilla Monsoon being the voice of it and sort of telling Heenan on commentary, on comms, that, oh, no, you can't do that. We're very fair here. And Jack, you know, it just should be fair because it makes sense for it to be fair. Even if even if you, the way you do it right is, so they beat up Hangman Page and uh, he's, he, he's completely out of it. So there's no hope of him, you know, firing back up, for example. And then you have... Uh, uh, Wheeler Utah is holding him up to do the Danielson spot. And just preventing the referees from getting in the ring is Mox and Claudio just on yeah. the ground, just going, you're not getting in the ring. Like, that's just a nicer way of presenting it. I completely agree. Like, I was the same. I was like, well, look, I'm not expecting um, the elite necessarily to come down. But, yeah, 
Dark order is a really good point. And uh, yeah, especially at some sort of officials. You had Pat Buck out there earlier and all the rest of them separating MJF and Jungle Boy. Where were they for the rest of the evening? Yeah, it's just ridiculous because I'm trying to be consistent here because that's what I am. One thing that WrestleMania, and we'll talk about it on a separate pod, make sure to check it out. That like this bloodline stuff's ridiculous. I'm tired of people saying it's cinema. Like technically it isn't, it's soap opera. If WWE, which by the way, there's no authority figure who's evil, even though Adam Pierce has been evil three or four times, and they just drop it. They just drop it sometimes, whether he's bad or good. He's more he's mainly neutral slash good. He's been evil a few times and it's been ridiculous, and they've just dropped it because they're terrible. Even in the Papa age, they were terrible. Um, I hate how the law of wrestling, right, is that the heel just relies on disqualification finishes and count outs and all the rest of it. The impartial promoter says, right, cage match. Or find a new way to cheat that we haven't cottoned on to yet. A new, really sort of mischievous or sadistic or whatever plan that you, the heel, have had. Like, God damn it, how could we prevent that? We didn't think you were going to do that. Multiple edges, for example. <laughs> yes, stuff like that. Exactly. Great point, Willborn. It's Jay Uso or Jimmy Uso or Solo Sikua every single goddamn time. Ban them from ringside or do a cage match. And when I say do a cage match, I'm not, please don't take that literally, WWE, because you're terrible at them. But the principle of the cage match, of the right, okay, well, the heels have, you know, they've taken the piss. For too long, it's not fair. It's time the baby face gets the fair fight. Three years of this, yeah, enough to. I'm sick of it. It indirectly, but like unwittingly, makes WWE a heel entity complicit with the bloodline. It just makes no sense for that to happen. But the like the rain, it's terrible. An AEW should be held to not the same standard, a better one because I think better of them. Hmm. Before we move on, a quick question I want to ask you because I saw some people tweeting about this when the the Nigel McGuinness news broke. Would you have him do stuff, uh, join with the Blackpool Combat Club? No, no. I think this unit is immeasurably better without a regal. Yeah. Two fantastic talkers in it already. You don't want another sharp-dressed like Englishman to do the talking. He can't get physical. I understand why they got regal. But big move. Could help backstage. Friends with Danielson and Mox. Even though he's never wrestled a single loud match um, in his entire life. He's got this legendary status from people who've never actually watched his work. I can understand why they got regal in. Um, but ultimately, I enjoyed him at the time. But my God, I feel like he was actually a bit rubbish. He just lowered. He just didn't fit. He and I know McGuinness would be a different proposition, but I think the, the group is as great as it is. But the kicking ass at the moment, even though that segment was wholly illogical, I expect so much more with something that the elite are associated with. I was really disappointed watching it. But I McGuinness keep him on commentary. Um, they don't need a mouthpiece. They don't need like a heater figure. They don't need a J.J. Dillon at all. It's not no. that kind of group for me. Because the whole point is they themselves are the absolute 
authority on wrestling. They are the veterans. They are the most skilled. They don't need the endorsement or anything like that. And I know the horsemen were as well. It just it's different. They don't need a JJ Dillon. Mm. Right, main event time. AW tag titles on the line. Of course, if FDR don't win them, then their careers within AW are over. They were taking on uh, the guns. Early on, FTR in control. Um, Colton slides the outside to regroup, but uh, bloody hate him so much, do uh, Dax and Cash, that Cash hits a baseball slide, um, gets into it with Austin, and that allows the guns to take over and isolate Cash Wheeler to take us to a break. When we come back, Dax gets the hot tag, um, runs in, nails both of them, um, and then we get both teams basically trying to hit their finisher, the uh, big rig, or the 310 to Yuma. Um, FTR managed to hit it, but Colton pulls the referee out of the ring and demands effectively that referee Paul Turner DQ him um, because, of course, the DQ would mean that they lose the match but retain the titles and FTR, uh, their careers within AEW, was over. This was the bit for me, Sige. We'll get through it, that the match completely went off the rails, but um, I love to, I'm, I'm excited to know your thoughts on it. Uh, Austin goes for a pedigree. Dax spins out multiple pin attempts. Austin hits a huge low blow in front of the ref. And as the referee goes to call for the DQ, Cash grabs his arm and begs him not to do it. Uh, they do hit the 310 to Yuma um, on uh, on Wheeler, that is. Austin sets up Harwood in the corner. He's about to come off the top. Um, they slide one belt in. Paul Turner gets rid of it. And as he's doing that, the second belt gets slid in. Um, so as Dax comes off the top, he gets nailed with the title belt, but kicks out at two. Harwood spits in their faces. Wheeler comes off top with their sunset flip. Uh, and Harwood gets a roll up to give the uh, one, two, three to FTR. They regain the tag team titles. The streamers come down. Big celebration. Even Mark Briscoe's running to the ring to celebrate with FTR as the show goes off the air. Um, but what did you make of this? I had no time for it at all. That was just right. I'm going to try and explain this. I'm going to be very careful with my words because people might think, how could you have a problem with it? Look at the pop that they got. Look at how happy everyone was. The thing is, you could achieve, you could have achieved that pop in an infinite different number of ways a different, infinite different number of scenarios to get those titles back. In and of itself, I guess this was what, if I'm generous, a three-star effort, just the crowd heat eventually got over the line, and it's pretty hard for Dax and Cash to work anything below that level, even if they want autopilot. This is one of the weaker big FTR matches ever like they've had a, had a run early in the AEW career when they basically, as soon as they walked through the door, it got humid and hot in Florida. They did well to have as many good matches as they did. All the roster did under those conditions in that time frame. And then even when they came back to arenas, it just didn't feel like it clicked for them in 2021. Bad match, not bad, but like cursed matches against Santana and Ortiz and just the odd, just, it's not the same as the Revival. This was on that level for me. They were awesome last year. Awesome in NXT, awesome last year. The idea that they've spent so much time on this and wasted it for this 14-minute, three-minute match, three-star match with the guns, that was a bit illogical and confusing. And there's a point, and I don't want to pick on them, 
because he's green. But you're asking me to analyse the performance of a wrestler who's considered a champion. I'm going to have to be pedantic about it. Col uh, Colton Gunn took a bump off the apron where, Jesus Christ, the delay from getting struck to just willingly jumping off the apron to bump himself. It's like they're just not ready. They're just not it. Maybe it's a noble failure, this meta heel where the, the heat is. They're not that good, but they stuck their way into the titles. The issue with doing that, as I called, and many others did from day one, not trying to do that awful podcast, the shtick, where it's like, I was right, I was right, God damn it, I was right. <laughs> I, hate, I hate that type of podcaster. I don't want to do a victory lap, unless it's you know me calling the dog collar match about three months before they did it. Everyone kind of knew this was a meta heat thing. And the problem with doing a meta heat thing is that this, I have two big problems with this. You know, Dax Harwood's Twitter is getting buried momentarily. <laughs> well, if you're going to do the meta heat thing, what had to happen for the two months of the, ultimately what was a transitional title reign? So the tag team division was at best vaguely amusing for those two months when he got the revolution match. At best, vaguely amusing. Didn't feel big time, didn't feel major league, didn't like the quality wasn't great. Um, so that's what the meta heat thing with the guns ultimately meant that the division was pretty crap. Uh, it's the only word, pretty crap. Is anyone going to go back and watch it? Was it memorable? Was it great standard stuff? No, it was just some cheeky meta, like wink, wink crap about the quality of a wrestler, not the strength of a character. So that was a waste of time. They've nuked the tag team division to make this happen. So that annoyed me before yeah. we even... And as a means to an end, the means were terrible and the end was mid for me. Before I get on to the other thing, Jesus Christ, that other thing. Like, I was confused here, right? If the idea was title versus career, okay? If we don't win the titles, then we're, we're, we're gone. We are gone. We said that if we can't win the titles, that's it for us. Like, the DQ stuff, I don't know, it just I didn't register with me at all because they didn't win the titles, obviously, in the event that they got DQ'd, but surely that would have just negated the stipulation? Yeah, it completely, completely took me out of the match, this. I, I threw my arms in the air, right? So he pulls the referee out, and I go, okay, that's kind of fine. You can do that in a normal tag match. Referee's not best pleased about it, but you can you can do that. And then they go on commentary. Well, of course, yeah, if they get DQ'd or the match gets thrown out, then then uh, the guns still get their way. They retain the titles and, and FTR are gone. And at that they should, point, have, they should have kicked the referee in the balls at the opening bell. I was like, all right, you maybe want to go toe to toe with FTR initially. And then the moment that happened, I went, oh, cool. So. There was a bit after that where Colton and Austin tagged. I was like, why are you bothering tagging? What's the yeah. point? And then, and then I was like, the belt stuff, I was like, okay, maybe if you really want to do sort of mental gymnastics, they want to win the match, so they want to do the belt shot, but not when the referee's looking. So they can... They've already established that the ref won't let them cheat. Oh, we'll just ignore it because on behalf of FTR. And then when the low blow happens, I was like, I just, I genuinely said out loud, get a chair then. Just go and get a chair. Go outside, yeah. clobber both of them with a chair and just go, well, doesn't really matter now anyway, because they're gone forever. So it, I just, I just completely, it ruined the match for me. And, and I understand what they were trying to do 
but they didn't, they didn't think this one through enough by a half. They didn't because obviously they were, were honourable honourable previously, and then suddenly, oh, they've cut a corner there. They take any shortcut they can possibly get. The little bell end ass boys, aren't they? Yes, at least two different problems. Before I get a Dax Harwood on Twitter, <laughs> if you're going to do it, and it's a bit weird, you could argue that it makes sense and it doesn't at the same time. If you're going to do it, you can't do half measures with a story like that because everyone looks like an idiot. Just absolutely smash his head in with a steel chair. Mm. Give the referee, well, the match is over. And the, the can't, you haven't been pinned or submitted. So by the letter of the law, um, the titles aren't changing hands. And that means, I think, that FTR are gone. Like, what a stupid thing to do. And uh, they really should have thought this through. Um, so that was a problem. And I had another problem before I was going to get the Dax Harwood. <laughs> I, like, just establish, right, okay, there wouldn't have been a title switch. And I was just needlessly confusing. Maybe someone else can articulate it for me. What have I missed here? Well, don't, don't, maybe, maybe your argument again is, oh, well, the guns wouldn't have agreed to it. But Dax and Cash are meant to be smart individuals and who've, who've you know, they've cheated in the past in the other iterations of their team, wouldn't you go, so yeah, um, career title stuff, but a DQ, what happens there? Oh, um, they retain and you you have to leave. Right, but this is the guns we're facing. Can we not make it a no DQ match or something like that? Like, we'll try and win it honourably, but worst comes to the worst. If a DQ should happen, I don't want it to, It just, yeah, it just yeah, felt... It just, it just, they did not think this one through at all. Now, <laughs> now... Hopefully, this is the last time I'll say it because I can't really get away with going, oh, my God, in WWE, who knows? Ellipsis, the threatening ellipsis. The threat. If I was, like, forming a band in college, you know, when they've got those stupid names, the threatening ellipsis of Dax Harwood would be my <laughs> six-form band name, my uni band name. My God. Right. He did all of this to make this match happen, ultimately. Yeah. He did. All of this, maybe you wanted a lucrative side racket on a podcast and it wasn't just about this match and it was part of it. But the whole thing, top guys out, dot, 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 to be continued. All right, okay. He orchestrated a online Twitter beef with the official AEW Twitter account for being in a mood that they didn't congratulate him for winning Wrestling Observer Newsletter Awards, which, by the way, he claims not to respect, and he has no respect for the dirt sheet. So why are you bothered? No, mm. oh, I don't care about the award. It was a disrespect. The disrespect from, like, the company that's turned heel on you? That's just... So in addition to this passive-aggressive moaning, what is it about... Dax Harwood's Forbidden Closet of Mystery that fascinates you. <laughs> All of this relentless sort of Twitter heel turn stuff. And I'm not the only person who feels this way. If you think about it, he did all of this for so long. Like the WWE logo on a bit of paper next to his tequila. Did all of this. The, 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 the constant 
even though PWI Insider said, oh, you know, they signed late last year and they're tied to a long-term deal, he no-sold it. He said that we were the liars. And he was insistent that, you know, I might go, I might go. But, you know, our contracts are up in April. April can't come soon enough, guys. All of that for this. All of that for this. At best, three-star match with little drama. I was at least bargaining with the idea, Wilborn, that, look, for all of these tweets, for all of this discourse, for all of this hypocrisy that I'm inferring at least, there's going to be a point in the retirement match where I'm going to go one, two. Oh my God, that was electrifying. And that didn't even happen, so well done. A complete and utter waste of time that's done nothing for the guns except expose that they're not ready. Did nothing for the tag team division except make it this sort of like cutesy, borderline irrelevant thing for two months. Did nothing for the babe, less than nothing for FTR, at least in terms of if you're on Twitter or if you're like rabidly online, you just think less of them. Twitter's a bubble, right? The acclaims run. I love the acclaims run. To be honest, but it was the worst ending possible. Yeah, that's too. what I mean. It was going, it was going so well. And yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, I, I don't. I'm, yeah, 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 yeah. The end point. This yeah, yeah. And when they did that, but yeah. So this whole meta stupid game has been such a waste of time. Here's the thing: it's all a bubble, and FTR winning those belts will a they'll stay over because Twitter's a bubble, and b they'll probably like elevate them to greater heights and this period will be forgotten that doesn't excuse this period it just doesn't the tv was whack in the t in the tag time tag title picture and look online fans are online fans we might not matter that much but i'm a wrestling fan who's online and i think less of ftr because of this stupid game that they've played over the past four months and don't tell me it wasn't a game it was a game yeah i agree uh, but let us know your thoughts on AW Dynamite on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch there. You can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. As I said, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. As we said, me and Sidgwick will be back later on today to talk about uh, the future of WWE under a returning Vince McMahon. And you know what? If you're a... Um, Maybe you're a, a British wrestling fan who've, uh, who've just got into the podcast off the back of this announcement that AEW is coming to Wembley Stadium. First of all, where have you been? We've been top of the wrestling podcast charts for ages now. Uh, and if you're thinking, well, I like this, but I don't really know a lot about the origins of AEW. I just wish, Sige, there was a book with passionate, insightful words uh, about this topic. Well, there is. <laughs> 120,000 passionate and insightful words all about the formation and indeed rise of AEW called, fittingly enough, Becoming All Elite, The Rise of AEW. It's available to purchase on Amazon right now. And guess what? Yeah, if you're UK-based and you want to check out Wembley Stadium, the big hot new wrestling brand, yeah? You can get it. Of course you can. But if you're from Cyprus, you can get it. <laughs> if you're from France, you can get it. If you're, you know, you can buy things from Amazon in your country, then you can get it. Not just the UK fans. Sorry, I'm just googling where we are in the French wrestling podcast charts. That's our next. That's our next mountain to climb. <laughs> to climb. I imagine our position in there is Trebian. 
I was going to say, if this, if we're in there, I guarantee my and me, my uh, accents and impressions probably won't have helped our ranking somewhat. <laughs> but yes, good news. Uh, you've got you've got four months to get ready and read the book and get all clued up about AW. So make sure you go and check out Becoming All Elite: The Rise of AW. Available on Amazon wherever you are in the world. Anyway, for now, this has been the AW Dynamite review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Your personal info, like addresses, phone numbers, and more, are collected and sold by data brokers. But Aura steps in, scanning the web, sending you alerts, and requesting your info be removed. Get Aura's full toolkit, including credit and transaction monitoring, a password manager, VPN, and more. Get a 14-day free trial at Aura.com slash safety. That's A-U-R-A dot com slash safety.